Welcome to the React Show. Today, your boss asks you for an estimate on a software project. What are you going to tell them? The first number that pops into your mind? I see you over there, Austin. I hope not, but I suspect that many of you do just that. So this episode, we're going to take a look at how to estimate software projects in a methodical, practical, and more accurate way. You were born a social animal in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. And now you sit with dancing photons blasting away your eyes as your muscles atrophy and your social skills lapse in a world where everything is measured and exact. You emerge from your cave that you call an office to find yourself torn away by the currents of the journey, of the journey we are all bound together in. Whether you're just learning to write code or you're a 50-year expert that knows APL just as well as TypeScript. We're all on the same journey together. So join us on The React Show as we explore how to make better programs, better teams, better companies, and a better world together. The React Show is a weekly podcast brought to you from occupied Miwok and Powhatan territory focused on learning more about React, programming in general, and the intersection of programming and the rest of the world. Come, join us on this journey. Thank you for joining us on episode 20. Your boss asks for an estimate. What do you reply? And yes, I am super excited to talk about this too. Well, <laughs> I, I might just be excited in general because I'm getting ready to take some time off and spend a week riding my bike up the Northern California coast. And, you know, like I always say, nothing really beats that feeling of the hot sun radiating through your sweat-soaked clothes as you pedal furiously up a steep hill at two miles per hour when six inches from your left hand a semi-truck blasts by washing you with a meaty gust of hot air. So why wouldn't I be excited? A meaty gust? (laughs) I mean, have you ever experienced this? It's it's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a meaty gust is definitely the word because it slaps you like a steak for sure. It feels like it. It does. I mean, I've never been slapped by a steak. <laughs> Me either, but I'm, I'm, I feel it happening. <laughs> Anyways, I'm your host, Thomas, with my wonderful, amazing co-host, Austin. Hi, Austin. Welcome to the show, like Howdy always. Howdy do. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> We're with Olive Creek, an organization focused on React and React education. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun today talking to you all about um, sharing our experience, I guess, with uh, estimating software. Um, so if you have any... F- we're an organization now? That's awesome. Yeah, you didn't know that? That's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It cool. happened uh, when I wrote that in the show notes, actually. That's when the transition <laughs> occurred. It's official. <laughs> <laughs> it has been it has been said and written. Yes, exactly. So, um, if you have uh, feedback or questions, like usual, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the React Show at Owlcreek.studio, um, and also on Twitter, which I don't know the handle for, so we'll have to get you that sometime here. Uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's Owl Creek Studio. I think I managed to snag that okay, one. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you can you can talk to us there. Um, yeah. So uh, let's let's get into it. Um, we've had our fun. Um, now now we got to get down to business. Well, this isn't really business, but it happens at businesses. So, 
Yeah, I don't even have any words for that one. <laughs> okay. So just a nod. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at um the the first thing is, you know, when is software actually done? So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind before even figuring out how to do an estimate is like, what are you aiming for? So that's the first thing we'll talk about. Um, then we're going to talk about just sort of a, I don't know, maybe it's a rant or an aside on why estimating software is really hard. Um, so you can maybe not feel so bad when you get it wrong. Um, and then we're going to look at, you know, an uh, the method that I use for, for estimating software, um, which I've found to be generally pretty effective. Um, so I, I don't know if it'll work for other people, but we can at least take a look at it. Um, and then the last thing is the, the answer to, to the show. What do you say to your boss when they ask you for an estimate? And I think that's like, um, you know, goes even beyond estimating it itself and into the inevitable follow-up question that your boss is always going to ask, which is, can you get it done sooner? <laughs> so I have a, I, I actually, I'm pretty excited to talk about that part because I feel like I figured out a something that seems to work really well, at least when I've applied it. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. Well, it's funny you say that because it, it when you said, um, you brought up the topic in general. I feel like estimations, like from management's perspective, it's like everyone knows that they're not correct. And we're like constantly, it's like, yeah, well, we have to track our velocity and keep getting better at estimating our velocity. And it's like this ever moving, ever changing number or whatever graph chart for some people uh in a sipping scotch as we were saying earlier to look at and be like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's like it's almost like estimations it's kind of like we're just doing that to please these people to keep them quiet and it's kind of i feel like it's a a game that is played for us where it's like hey you're like you have to figure out how to estimate things better and like it's this constant like game of this moving target that we're supposed to somehow um be able to provide it's kind of funny yeah i think what i hear you describing is the fact that none of this is usually very well defined and oftentimes people that are looking for estimates um are are not looking at it necessarily the same way that we might be looking at it um and this is actually something that I've thought about a lot and I believe I've accounted for in this method and, and that is basically a way so that you can um both accurately present the uh estimate but also and I think more critically have the right language to um, make adjustments to that estimate without painting yourself into a corner or without doing what Austin was talking about where it feels like people expect your estimates to be wrong or something like that. Um, so so we're going we're gonna to get into that. We're going to learn how you can do that. Why do I feel that this common theme of just like learning how to craft better stories to make certain people not harass you seems to be like a, a recurring thing. That's like all I feel like I'm dealing with now. 
Yeah, I I have many thoughts on that as well. Probably best saved for a, a different and more interesting episode. <laughs> but I think we kind of got into it the last one too. Yeah. And now now this and now a next one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but let's let's get on the estimation. The are we starting with uh, the quote definition of done yeah. as like the what we're really trying to aim for? Yes, you got it exactly. So when is software done? Um, the, the, there's, I guess, some ways to look at this. And if you know me and you've listened to this, you know, podcast for a while, you'll know, I like to start with the ideal case, right? So we start with the ideal case and then we back off to like maybe where we are in reality. So what I'm going to talk about first is like, when is a piece of software like done, done in an ideal world? Um, and that is, uh, the first thing would be um, when it does exactly what the end user wants. And this is, I want to make an important distinction here. That does not necessarily mean what the spec you've been given says or your manager says or, or you know, whoever is giving you information um, indirectly. What matters, I think, in terms of the actual software itself is when the end user gets what they want. And we're going to talk more about how, why that distinction matters and, and everything. Um, but I'll first just continue to, to list off the, the criteria here. Um, the next one is uh, when your software functions correctly all the time. So it has no bugs. I mean, that's ideal, right? So it's got no bugs, functions perfectly all the time. The next thing is when the code is of reasonable quality and this is a, a bit more nebulous, and I, I didn't define it better than this because I think it depends a lot on the situation. You know, when you're just starting out, maybe building a startup, um, it might be perfectly fine and the right thing to do to have lower quality software. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, there's other cases where you want to have higher quality code. You know, I, I shouldn't have said software, but in terms of like the code itself, like the ability to extend it and manipulate it in the future, how extensible it is, that kind of thing, to me is a part of when software is done. Um, and the amount that you need to, you know, focus on that depends on your situation. Um, but we can, we can again talk more about that. Um, the, those are, those are my main three criteria. So when I'm looking at the these estimates, those are the main things I'm looking at is, um, you know, is am I did I make something that the end user wants? Uh, are there bugs? And is my code acceptable? Is it good? Is it where I want it to be? You know, um, those are the three main things. So in an ideal world, that's what we would have. Obviously, we're going to have bugs. Obviously, it's not going to do exactly what the end user wants, you know. Um, and the way I look at this is I look at it in terms of percentages. So what percentage did we meet this criteria? Um, in a lot of like this episode, I'm going to be talking about what I call the 95%. So the software mostly does what the end user wants and it mostly functions correctly all the time. There, there should not be any major functional bugs, but maybe there's like some UI quirks or like there might be some amount of bugs. We're not going to we're not aiming for perfection here. Um, and, and my code is, you know, not maybe perfect, but it's it's good. You know, so so that's what I call the like 95 
percent criteria. Um, and I found this is like a very, you know, sort of happy um, place to be for both the end user in most cases, um, for, you know, managers, for your clients. Um, if you reach this 95% threshold, people are usually like, yeah, you did a good job. Um, now, there are cases where you're aiming higher than this, for sure. Like, I worked on a database engine. Whenever we modified code related to storing the data or, or manipulating the data in any way, 95% was never good enough. Like, we were aiming for, like, 99%. And uh, we're going to talk later on about how you can um, use that to adjust your estimates because that's a, a super important thing to keep in mind. The amount of doneness, as I say, has a dramatic impact on your estimate. Um, so, yeah, now, now that I've blabbed a lot, I, I'm curious, Austin, from, from you, like, have you ever thought about estimates in terms of, of doneness, as I say? Yeah, trying to get to like there there's this concept of the definition of done. Um and when you do things in a in a perfect world, you do start with like the end goal in mind and you figure out where like where you need to go, what you need to have uh to reach that percentage. And when when you brought up these percentages, it made me think a little bit about like any video game I've played in the past where like leveling up a skill or something from one to like level 90 takes just as long as 90 does all the way to a hundred. Uh, and the, like this kind of same, same with, uh, like any skill in real life, right? Like I've been, I've gotten from one to 90 with software, but like the intricacies of the stuff I still need to learn to be like a true professional, that journey from 90 to 100 is going to last a lot longer than it took to get to 90 in the beginning. And so that theory of how there's like kind of an exponential curve, the, the closer to 100 you get to, yeah, I can see how that quite dramatically affects the, the definition of done and the, the, estimation and it makes me think about how like you're saying with this database engine having 99 percent is like absolutely critical for an application like that because your your imperfections and things that you didn't get done they will propagate out through the entire system and really cause problems versus like maybe you just need to get like a landing page up for some new feature and it's okay if it's like 90% good because like the critical uh, malfunctions of it aren't going to have like as bad of implications as like your database engine uh, case. Yeah, definitely. It's like um, I had a, um, like the, I worked at a startup and maybe like 10 years ago now. And the CEO used to always say to us, like, we ain't writing banking software here, y'all. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if he, if he thought we were spending too much time or something on, on uh, making it too perfect, you know, it'd be like, you know, it just needs to be at the, you know, he didn't say 95%, but that's what he meant. Like it, you know, don't try to make it perfect. It takes too much time. So the, the main thing here is like, 
it's kind of, I don't have a, a good prescription for this, but it's important to learn what is expected for the software doneness. So you know what you're aiming for before you start creating um, estimates. And that's something that like, I think you can get better at with practice, but also just good communication, talking to the end users if you can, or whoever is, you know, giving you this task, like being clear about, okay, what is acceptable levels of done? Um, so yeah, once you've done that, um, you can, uh, you, you know, move on to the rest of the process. But I just want to take um, an aside now and talk about uh, just sort of why software estimating is difficult in general. Because um, I want to talk about this because I find that people are sort of not trying to estimate accurately because it is difficult. Um, and I think that maybe we can just talk about like, hey, it's difficult for all of us and that's sort of understood um, and you're not going to get it perfect. But it's still, I think, worthwhile to try. Um, the Oh, yeah, go ahead, Austin. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it made me think of like the, I think the main problem with accurately estimating is you're saying there needs to be time put into properly understanding what's going on up front. And a lot of the times the people who are saying, hey, we need an estimate because we want this, we want your estimate to be Friday and you need to get us that estimate we're looking for uh, for our Friday goal and let us know if you're going to meet it or not. So it's not actually a true estimation it's like figuring out how to placate the the needs of whoever is forcing an estimation on you and that usually lead when it's based around a deadline like that uh the definition of done doesn't get thoroughly looked into like a uh, something we're working on right now we we we've been doing a good job communicating with the engineers that are assisting us with this but still as we started working on things we gave an estimate of uh of a certain time and a certain day and then as we got into it there were things where we were like oh yeah we forgot about this uh caveat to to this piece of software uh, to this flow and we now need to re-communicate with our like support engineers and the estimation then moves because we I mean we were we did a good job estimating up front I think especially on this feature um, but still like think we're humans like we don't we don't have the capability to remember every little single detail about something and so the estimations are definitely always moving and it, it it is therefore it's it's difficult yeah i i suspect i know what you're talking about and um I, I, it's a great example because I, maybe you weren't aware of part of it but i applied this method in this case and the there's we'll talk more about this later but i basically have two deadlines the the deadline you're referring to, yes, indeed, is not exactly being met, but that's accounted for. So 
I wouldn't worry. We'll talk about we'll talk about it later in the show here. <laughs> right on. Yeah, so so you could learn <laughs> you could learn. I it's you're totally right. So there are unexpected things and I build that unexpectedness into my estimates. Um and and we'll talk about what that means and and more about what you were talking about here a little later on. Um I yeah, that was a great example, though. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, like life, life right now is just the example for all of this stuff we're talking about. It's wonderful. It's like, oh, wow. Uh, I mean, that's a good thing, though. You know, our experiences are able to create content that resonates uh, and hopefully educates. So what's the what what's the next step so the next step is me ranting about um software being hard to estimate <laughs> so um i want to start with um uh, a little bit of story time actually so my so i grew up in 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 west michigan and in west michigan you know either everyone you know is either you know, in the automotive industry or, you know, married to the, somebody that is or the daughter of somebody that, you know, like everybody's connected. And and my dad was a mechanical engineer uh, for an automotive supplier. Um, and for a lot of his life, he designed shifters. You, you've almost certainly used, you know, shifters that he's designed. You know, it's a company that supplies to many different manufacturers and stuff, right? And we would have a lot of conversations about software. And you might be thinking, like, what does software have to do with shifters, you know, and mechanical engineers? Well, um, like everything in, in cars these days, it's, it's all based on software now. And so even shifters have firmware. And my dad would always complain to me, like, uh, what is up with these? He would always call them the software guys. What is up with these software guys? Like, oh, they're always late on everything, you know, and like he, so he was like the sort of lead for their project. And so anytime there was any change whatsoever to the design of the shifter, and that included software, he had to republish all the design specs and send them to the customer and get it, you know, like he had to go through this process every time he's like, yeah, like three quarters of my republishes are just like an update on the firmware version. And like, and so he would complain to me about this all the time. And and so I I was like, this is really interesting because, you know, they're doing engineering. He's doing engineering. Why is there this disconnect? Um, and so I, I started asking my dad, like, okay, well, how does things work, like, from a mechanical engineering perspective? And, you know, the more that we got into it, the more I learned that things for mechanical engineering at his level and that type of position – um, are all really well-defined and understood, um, at least relative to software. So they're not going to like take some new material and use it in their, their shifter without like somebody having already done lots of research on the material and testing and blah, blah, blah. Like, like everything they're working with is super well understood and defined, at least relative to software. And it also has a really long history um, you know, we've been developing mechanical things even before cars, but even since cars, you know, there's a, you know, a longer history than we have for software. So there's a lot more understanding of these things. Um, and, and going along with that, I, I want to highlight like one major difference, I think, between the way 
mechanical things like in a car get developed and software things, even in a car, uh, get developed. And that is um, the, the system is very defined, like I said, to the point where they actually have their own like testing suite for shifters. So like you can go into this room at their plant and it's just filled with these like automated machines that are just repeating actions on shifters, you know, over and over and over again. Well, these machines, you know, can more or less be reused for every shifter they make. They just got to tweak it. So their whole like test suite, you know, there's some changes, but they reuse their test suite. Like, when does that happen in software? When are you like, yeah, I'm going to build another e-commerce app and then use the same test suite? Like, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> I'm just imagining this, like, room of these, like, robot arms and these, like, little shifters, like, bing, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, bouncing all around. That's exactly what it was. And, you know, what's really interesting is... Uh, maybe this is more of a side note, but like, um, I asked my dad, like, oh, do, do these like things find anything wrong with your shifters ever? And he was like, oh yeah, recently actually, um, we had a big issue where the, the, the shafts were breaking. And I was like, wait, the like metal shaft on your shifter is breaking. And he was like, yeah. Um, after, I don't know, 500,000 shifts or something, they start breaking. And he's like, yeah, well, we found out that our supplier for that metal was actually cutting corners and the mm-hmm. metal wasn't actually the metal it was supposed to be, you know? And I thought that was perfect, like, analogy to how things work in software all the time. Like, we import, you know, hundreds or thousands of libraries into our web applications and they very often don't do what we're expecting or what they're supposed to do, you know? that That's, like, so common that we don't even, like, really bat an eye. It's just like, ah, hey, this library is doing this wrong. What do we do about it? Like, it's not even, like, a, a thing that's a big deal. Whereas, like, in their world, that's a huge deal. Yeah, like, you can't you can't have shifter shafts breaking because your metal's bad. Like, Yeah, you're driving down the road and then just, like, it's in your hand and you're like, wait, where... <laughs> yeah yeah that's terrifying i think that uh i i don't know if this is what happened but there was a company in japan that was put supplying like most of the steel for certain fabrications to the u.s and they had been like altering their production methods and like had ruined the infrastructure of a ton of things in our country and uh in the military applications as well and they got caught and like it didn't really end that well for them yeah well at least in this case they their their automated testing caught the problem and they were able to (laughs) resolve it um but yeah it's uh it was pretty fascinating and it got even more fascinating when I got into the software side because I was like, well, are they applying the same level of rigor to their software development? And it was pretty clear to me that they weren't. And I'm like, okay, so who works? Who is, who are these software guys? Like, oh yeah, it's just two guys. They write, they write the firmware for, for this. And I'm like, well, how many mechanical engineers are on your team? And you know, it's like five mechanical engineers or something. I'm like, so you're like expecting this team of two that's, you know, writing the software to like be at the same level as these people doing the mechanical engineering. And I don't know, to me, that was like kind of seems like a, a little bit of um expecting too much. But then I was like, 
looked into the software that they're using and it turns out that it's not as complex as like the um software that you know or the system they're building on so like their os and stuff it's not as complex as what we're using on our desktop computers or whatever or that we're writing our our um, web applications for or something um but it is still really complex and i just want to highlight this like so if you're talking about a web application, you're looking at uh, an o like it has to run on top of many layers, right? So you have like an OS kernel and hardware firmware. That's tens of millions of lines of code. It's very complex. On top of that, you have user land services and utils, another one to tens of millions of lines of code. Then you have your desktop environment, which is millions of lines of code. Now your web browser, your web browser is millions more lines of code. And we're not even to like your web application yet. You have all these layers, all this complexity before you even get to a web application. Um, and that's, you know, not to mention all the libs you use in your web application, that kind of thing. Um, and the, in the car case, their firmware, it's not quite that extreme. Um, but they also were running on, you know, uh, I was really surprised. The software they're running on was way more fully built, you know, operating systems and stuff than I expected for just her firmware on a shifter, you know? And so I look at that and I'm like, well, no wonder it's hard for us to estimate. We're building on tons and tons of layers and all these layers don't always work perfectly together. So we're going to run into problems. Like, uh, it's unavoidable. Like Austin was saying earlier, there's nothing you can do to prevent surprises if you're writing something like a web application. I mean, the only thing you can do to prevent that is to write the application first and use that as your estimate. Like there's really no other option, I think, in that case. Um, so, I, you know, and, and like compared to a car engine or transmission or whatever, like they're complicated things, but they're not near as complicated as software. So, like, I think it's really important to remember when we're looking at our software estimates and feeling bad or feeling like it's too hard to do, um, you know, it is harder to do than probably other areas where people are making estimates more successfully. But I also believe that over time, as things mature and as we go through history, we'll get better at it as well. Um, but I just want to talk about all this because I don't want people to be discouraged from doing this. It's hard. Don't feel bad. There are things we can do about it. Um, but even when you do these things and it goes wrong, you know, don't don't beat yourself up about it or give up because like, I think we can get better as an industry and I think, you know, individuals can get better as well. You know, just, you know, maybe stick with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's important to, yeah, get past the, the mindset of all oh, this, like, this is tough or like, oh, it's not working because, it's going to, it makes everything better when you do it properly. It, it'll, it'll hone your skills for the future. It'll create easier relationships within the company or the project you're working on. It is difficult, but it's like, it's definitely worth doing properly and getting good at doing properly because it, the, the level of expertise it will empower you with is, is well worth the, the trials and the suffering behind it. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and I don't know, I can't help myself. I want to make one more little aside on this. Uh, and, and that is to point out, like, uh, when you have, like, a car, what I realized is that my dad, you know, he's never dealing with really new or unexplored things. Like I was saying earlier, they have R&D departments. The R&D department gets things figured out, you know, more or less before handing it off. Like they're, that, that's not a thing though that happens in most software companies. How does it work in your software company? You, every time you build a new like web app, you reach for the newest version of whatever hot new library there is out there. You, there's not been an R&D department that like went through the library and looked at every line of code and looked at the quality and wrote a test suite for it and like, you know, things that generally happen in other engineering professions, we don't really do in software. So you're building your foundation on a much more, I think, shaky, you know, foundation than than I, uh, other industries might be. Uh. Yeah, I mean, the that that's the thing is there's so many moving parts to software that like uh, you and everything i mean look at your node modules for example the folders and look at your package lock or your yarn lock at how many like the web of dependencies and like we're blessed that there's a manager for packages that can try to make the best of this like huge sticky web of uh, interconnectedness that is I mean, there's commits and changes and releases going out to a myriad of software that your your applications rely on every like hundreds of thousands, perhaps of touch points that you just it's like, how can you even account for that? You you really can't. And if we were to stop and account for it, nothing would get done because there's just so much happening in the ecosystem. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation yeah, I, uh, in software development. Yeah, I think you're really right about that. Like, if you look at, you know, building a bridge or something, like, that takes a long, long time to design it all out because they are, like, accounting for all of these things. If we moved at that speed in software, we could do it and we would have, you know, higher quality software and it would be way easier to estimate software if we were doing it that way. But that's not the world we live in. Yeah, it's funny. It's like there's this there's two paradigms. There's like people want this like really thoroughly estimated, bug-free, reliable, etc. software, but they also are pushing this concept of lean iterations and just like pivoting forward, failing forward, and it's like they expect both and it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know how to really deliver that one to you, but I guess that's how we're going to get into your your ultimate method of estimation, right? Yeah. So are you ready for that? I have my notepad. <laughs> I'm I'm literally my pen is on the paper. I'm waiting. Awesome. All right. So um I'm trying to think. I, I have this in maybe a different order in the show notes, but I'm thinking I might switch this up. Um no, I think I like how I did it. So we're going to start with the the original question for the episode. So your boss comes to you, asks you for an estimate on a feature. What do you say? So the first thing is um, I assess how accurate does this estimate need to be? Does, do I need to um, 
know down to the minute, you know, when this thing is going to get done or is the month that's going to be done in the most important part? Like, that's what I try to, I'll ask like the boss or whoever it is like, Hey, um, you know, what are you looking for? You know, and and this kind of ties into what you said earlier, like uh, Austin uh, about them maybe having a target deadline in mind already. You know, if they tell me that right now, that, certainly helps me later on in this process. So I try to just gauge that is, you know, how much, you know, if I need to be really, really accurate, I have to spend more time estimating. There's, that's just the correlation. The more accurate, the more time I need to spend estimating. And and I'll even be upfront with people about that. Like, hey, this is something I don't know much about. It's going to take me a few days to estimate this or something and be like, is that okay? And if they're like, no, that's not okay. Then you're like, Okay, well, that's fine. I will spend less time estimating it, but I'll just let you know my estimate is going to be less likely to be correct. And and so then they can make that determination if that's okay. If they're like, yeah, that's fine, then fine, go ahead. But if they're like, oh, no, we really need to know like precisely when it's done, then you're like, sorry, I have one option, and that is to spend a lot of time, you know, estimating. Um, So that's the first step. Um, And then... What happens next is I think what I see, especially from newer engineers, but often from all engineers, and that is what I said at the beginning, is they will just come up with a number in their head. They'll like sort of do a rough, like, I don't know, 15 second estimate of like, oh, I got to create like a few new pages and stuff and just like say a number. Um, don't do that. It, it's the worst thing you can do. Um, that will lead to a situation where you are absolutely always wrong. And in my experience, you're always optimistic, way too optimistic. You will never meet your deadline. Um, you will. And, and to me, that's like just not useful. It's not useful to the people asking you. It's not useful to you because then you feel like you're behind all the time. So I just want to tell people right now, I know you feel like doing that. Like you're in sprint planning or something and somebody says, Hey, How many story points is this or what is this going to get done? The first thing to say is I will get back to you. Do not answer right away unless it's like maybe a, you know, it's a two line change and it's something that you already know. So so maybe there's cases where you can answer right away. But, you know, I don't know, Austin, if, if you've noticed this with me, but I almost always say I'll get back to you unless it's something really quick. Yeah, and this is something I'm trying to learn as well because I think two weeks ago um, there were like some promises made and I was like, you know, I have to keep these and I ended up like I met the deadline, I met the the estimation uh, and it really taxed me a lot. Um, I ended up working like about 70 hours for this one contract and then... Uh, I'm still kind of recovering from that and it's uh it's kind of hampered my my progress across a few fronts for the last 2 weeks now as I kind of recuperate um from all of that. And so like that itself is a reason to be like hey it's not okay to do that not for you, not for anyone because now my my work is impacted. Um, I got it done, sure, but um, I was stressed. Now I'm not able to deliver at the rate of other expectations that follow up afterwards. So just taking the time to really be like, hey, 
give me a little bit. I need to, <clears throat> I need to formulate a correct answer for you. I, I'm really finding the, the necessity of that becoming more clear. That was a great, um, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I've, I'm sorry. <laughs> that sounds like a, a terrible situation. Um, and, you know, I, but I think it, it was really great that you shared that with everyone because I think a lot of people identify with that. I certainly do. I have been there. That's why I developed this method. I, I struggled with this for a long time. Um, so yeah, thank you. That, that is really good to know. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. So my response is I'll get back to you. Like I said, like, and if you get pushback on that, then there's an easy response. Well, I can make up a number for you. Do you want me to make up a number? Because that's what it will be unless I get back to you. And every single time I've said that, people are like, this. I've had people push me still and be like, oh, just, just give me a number. I'll be like, I'll make up a number. Five, 15, 29, which one do you like? That's what I do. I'm like, you're not going to force me into saying something that's, I don't know. <laughs> 29 what's well, you, you yeah choose. exactly you want to do hours um you want to do lemons I, I don't know i can what, what do you want to yeah, do no, i'm serious say, say those things like it's it works you do that and, and people are gonna be like oh okay fine you really mean it you're not like all the other programmers out there that just pick a number out of their ass and you know hand it to me <laughs> right like you know, you don't want to be one of those. Like Austin said, it leads to bad situations. <laughs> yeah, no, for real, don't do not do it. I'm suffering right now. Like it threw off my sleep cycle. I'm kind of behind on things that are more important than this thing that I was trying to people please perhaps. I don't know. It, it wasn't, it, it was not worth it in any sense for anybody involved, I think. Yeah. And and then that's also dangerous to you because like it, it, you then become like a liability to some degree. And the people who are asking, asking estimates of you, they don't really, they may empathize verbally or via some words they write on a screen to you. But that empathy is quickly forgotten when you don't continue to deliver what they expect you to deliver. And then you're quickly in a tight spot again where you'll most likely make the same bad mistake of giving a, a people-pleasing estimate. And then you just get caught in this cycle of pain. Yeah, it's it's absolutely not worth it. And I think we have a way out. Um, we have, I keep saying that we haven't got there yet, but we will. <laughs> so, so when I tell people I'll get back to you, um, if it's a anything more than a, a really minor thing, or if it's something I'm not familiar with, um, actually, I'm curious, Austin, what do you think I do after I say I'll get back to you? What do you think I actually do to start making an estimate? Um, <clears throat> you don't have to know. probably take a bathroom break first. <laughs> oh, you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I don't know. And I think that's a practice of what you're saying, like not being like, Hey, I'll get back to you. Why don't you tell me first? Cause I can't, I can't guess what you actually do, you yep. know, and admitting you don't know something is fine. Yep, definitely. Excellent. So 
What I usually yeah. do is I start making a proof of concept. Um, I start writing code and like looking at, okay, what am I, what is actually going to be required? I start just doing it in like a very, very rough sense. So I, I usually try to build a rough POC to some degree. Sometimes it's not even functional, but at least I can start getting a view of what it's going to take and hopefully um, force me to start thinking things through better. Um, and this is where it ties into that thing I mentioned earlier about the software should function correctly for the end user, not necessarily the spec or what your, your boss said or whatever. Like, um, ultimately what matters is if the function works for your end user. I mean, I know in, in cases you're working in companies where the, you know, pointy haired boss's view is more important than the end user. And in those cases, you build it for the pointy haired boss. They are your end user. Um, so identifying who your real end user is for at least your position is also important. But once you know that who that is, even if you can't talk to them, being able to think like them is super important. So usually at this POC stage, I start going like, okay, the user's going to do this and they're going to do this, clicking this. And like that always, always, always uncovers things that are missing from the spec. Like absolutely always I find things in this like discovery phase where I'm like, oh, this wasn't even in the spec. They didn't think of this. Or like, you know, um, one that I, I ran into recently actually was I was like, hey, it sounds like maybe you're going to have like 300 items in this list. And I don't know. It seems like it'd be really hard to find the item you need in this list. There's no like search functionality or anything. You know, is this something that we actually need? And the end user is like, oh yeah, absolutely right. I didn't even think of that. I would have been in big trouble trying to try to use this thing, you know? And so it's really important to me like to start making a POC and start thinking like the user and start using it like the user. And even if you're like um, a back-end engineer or you're writing, like it doesn't have to be a front-end thing that a uh, like physical user is using directly. Like if you're making an API or whatever, it's the same thing. Like you need to be thinking about, okay, it's going to need this information. It's going to need it in this way. You know, is there information that's missing? You know, that kind of thing. Like um, really thinking about it at a, a user level and then trying to build a POC for any of the parts that you don't understand as well, especially, or that are new to you, or, and this is a really, really, really important one, that need to interoperate, whether it's with a, a backend or with a new library, things like that, I always try to make my POC touch them because those are the areas where you're going to run into unforeseen delays that can throw off your estimate a lot. And so what I basically do is the more of those things I have, the more I expand my estimate. I don't like try to figure out how long it's going to take necessarily to interoperate perfectly or whatever and find the issues there. I just go, okay, this is a, a big library I got to bring in. It looks like, you know, I might have some issues here or whatever. I'm going to just really blow out my estimate a bit for this. Um, so this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm making a proof of concept. And even if you don't make a proof of concept, it's like a maybe a little bit of a smaller feature and you know it kind of well. Maybe you don't need a proof of concept. But I'm still like sort of mentally building one in my head. Like, okay, this is what it's going to look like. This is what I'm going to need. Um, and the, the ultimate goal is you're trying to break down the 
estimate or the, the project, I guess, into as small a parts as you can. And once you start doing that, you can make better estimates. So I'll be like, oh, um, I need to create this new slideshow component or whatever. Okay, that, that'll probably take me a day or something, you know. Um, but then updating this over here, that's doesn't look too bad. I'm going to give that like a few hours or something. Like I'm just sort of roughly going through trying to break it down as much as I can. And then I start adding up those numbers. Well, back to the very first thing, the beginning, the uh, taking this uh, prototype. And it makes me think about this guy that I worked with. He was a QA engineer on my team in Germany for a video game company software we were building. His name was Matthias. And like when he first started working with him, I just was like, he irritated me to no end. Like, because it was, it was all my fault. Uh, because I would make some software and send it in for QA. And he would be like, um, he would come over and be like, um, hey, Austin, so I, I tested your, your application. And when I like clicked the button rapidly five times and hit the space bar while I was typing some random letters, it like broke the UI. I, I don't know why. But but you need to look into this edge case because like something's not working. I'm like, dude, I, I like could I could never get anything past him on the first iteration. Um, and then it usually took like one or two work throughs with him to to fix these things. And then eventually he helped me so much in uh, kind of looking for these things ahead of time. So kind of like you're saying, like, maybe you don't account for the huge final version uh, when you start with this prototype, but like being aware of all the peripherals and all of the potential tangent things that will come into this feature as you like build it out, it allows you to really step back and come up with that padding estimation that you're talking about in addition to like the actual estimation of what what's going into this uh initial work yeah absolutely i i'll just like highlight again the things that i look for like you mentioned are i look for areas of bad code so if i get into an area and i'm like oh i'm gonna have to work with this code and it looks not great or i don't understand it or i i add a lot to my estimate for that um the what you you said the edge cases interoperability that kind of thing I I just note those areas and I'm like okay that's going to take me a little bit more time you know sort of pad out the estimate um, so after I've done all that and I've tried to like prove out as much as I can and and you know I sort of have rough ideas of all how long it might take me to implement all these components. I take that number, that total number where I've added that together. And then if I'm aiming for the 95% that we talked about earlier for software doneness, I multiply that number by three. So this is usually what happens is the number that you just make up um, when somebody asks you for an estimate, that's usually this uh, around this number. Um, and it's usually what I call the like 80% number. 
And like mm. we all know, it's easy to hit the 80% number. It's hard to hit the final 20%. And so what I see people doing is they say, throw this number out and it gets them to 80%. And so then they're like, yeah, hey, it's done. But turns out it's got a lot of bugs and edge cases and, you know, it's missing a few things because you didn't think through how the user's actually going to use it. And so then you're left spending like weeks trying to like patch it all up and like get it back into shape. Or you're like pushing back the deadline over and over and over again. So the first thing we do is multiply it by three. And I'm going to break down that three for you shortly. But I'm curious, Austin, what do you think about this technique so far? It's really great. Um, and just like it gives you the room to actually breathe, to make it and not make mistakes by giving yourself that padding. And we keep coming back to this thought of doing things with the, for the user and like with their insights streamlined into the process as you're making it. Like one of our projects we worked on for the last year, we were like kind of just code monkeys for a design team and uh, some upper team telling them what to do and then a PM and they were telling us like, well, we want to protect you so that you don't have to worry about all of the stuff on the other end and you just can do what you do best. And it's like, oh, how sweet. But in a way, that was like one of the worst things that could have ever happened for this development team because it took us about a year to get to a place where we're even interacting. Like I didn't even know the people who were using the software or how they used it. And I was even told not to worry about it and to like leave them alone because that it could lead to us having to like fulfill requests for the people who use it outside of this controlled streamlined workflow. And then we get to this point where we are like, interacting with the users and we're like oh my goodness like they have created like you you told me you're like wait until you see the spreadsheets that they create to use your software and I was like no way like it's not that bad <laughs> and then literally the zoom call starts and the screen share is a google spreadsheet and I was like oh my goodness yep like this is reality and the the really bad thing about that is this huge tangent system had been developed like alongside of our system to the point that these people were super heavily reliant on this tangent system that if we had just taken the time a year ago to like figure out what we really needed to make we would be moving so much faster right now already and things would be done the way they should have been done and we wouldn't be in any of these sticky situations so it kind of comes back to the point that we keep talking about where it's like take the time up front to really make sure that you know what you're doing before you get into doing it and making promises because like my example from two weeks ago it had some like short-term effects on my mental health my um 
my productivity across like what I'm responsible for, but like blow that out into a year of those continual actions. And it only, if you're off 1% every day, it, it may not seem like a big deal, but the compounding effect of that 1% miss every day over a year, you then realize like, oh, I was on a flight to I was on a flight to New York, but somehow I'm in Russia now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That that sounds unfortunate. Unless you really preferred to go to Russia, but... <laughs> I've been to Russia and it was... Uh, I had... When I was putting my uh, my luggage through the screener to make sure I didn't have any whatever bad stuff someone stole my my camera in during that process there was like the I saw it happen too I saw this guy at the end of the conveyor belt thing that takes your bags and I like went through the metal detector and stuff and then when I got out this guy who had been like staring at me he was gone in like the camera that was in the little tray was gone too and I was like dude what a genius <laughs> He waits until we're like literally vulnerable in this radiation machine and can't do anything. And if we tried running after him, the like these Russian police would like arrest you, you know, and he just like boop, took my camera. Well, may I, but other than that, Russia was I don't fun. know about uh, New York. Maybe it's no better, but maybe you should have gone to New York instead. <laughs> I went to New York recently and I did not really have a good time at all, to be honest. But we won't get into that. <laughs> All right. I did want to say, um, and what you were talking about previous to this, the situation um, that, that you were in with not even being connected to the user. I sort of, I, you know, we were working together in that um, environment and I sort of brute forced my way into talking to the user actually through this method because I kept saying... I don't understand. This part doesn't make sense. Like, does the user really use it this way? And finally, the the person sort of facilitating this is like, oh, let me just connect you to the end user and you can ask them. <laughs> right. Like, there's like we work through proxies like all the time. And there's just like, have you ever played the game telephone where you yeah. like you pass around a word? It's like it doesn't work <laughs> like and if the only way it works is if this team is like so cohesive and sharing like this lexicon and way of everything like and that just doesn't happen. So it's like, why why do we have these proxy layers to begin with? I don't know. I do know why they're there, but that's another uh, another topic for another day, I think. <laughs> um yeah, so I, we've left this question hanging, though. Why three? What makes up three? Why is that significant? Mm -hmm. um, so number one is this has worked for me. Um, but the way it works, we need to talk about because it only works if you do it a certain way. So like I said, this three gets you to maybe the 95% doneness value. Um, but the thing to note is that I aim to have all of my work done in the first third of that time. So in our original number that we, you know, came up with, I'm still trying to get it done in that amount of time. And I usually do. Um, luckily, since we have more time, 
I'm not feeling so stressed. And if it goes over by a little bit, it's not the end of the world, um, which is great to start with. But I actually allocate the other two thirds for very important things. So like I said, the first third, I think, gets you um, 80% of our goal of 95%. Sounds weird, but it gets us, you know, the first 80%, the sort of easy, quick stuff. Now, the next one third of my time, I try to polish up the the code, um, the application. It's a, used as a, a buffer for any of these unexpected things, interoperability, debugging that took longer. Um, but basically, I'm just going through the app and trying to break it. I'm being that QA person. I'm being the end user. I'm looking at it from the end user's perspective. Okay, how are they going to use it? What are they going to do? You know, and I'm just like finding everything I possibly can that's wrong with it. And I'm especially looking for things that are functionally wrong with it. So if, if I'm dealing with, you know, data that's really important, I'm going to start there and be like, okay, am I making sure that there's no way to mess up this data with my program? Like my program always gets the data right, you know? Whatever it is, your critical function, that's where I start with. And then I sort of move out from there towards things that are less important, but still good to have fixed. And so that's where I spend the next third of my time. So, yeah. Did you want me to respond to that? I I was just listening to you. I'm curious if you are surprised by that, that I spend just as much time polishing and finding, you know, the remaining things as I do building out the entire system or feature. I mean, I think it's, I, I'm knowing you No, I'm not surprised because like you're pretty consistent about what you deliver and how you deliver it. And, um, it, it always pretty, it, it goes well. And I've learned a lot working with you. Um, and it just like, I had something specifically I wanted to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like listening and I, I forgot, I forgot what oh, I was going to say. Okay. Well, if you think of it again, you know, chime in. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was like, I was listening and then I was picking up all the other stuff you were saying and I was like, hold on to that thought. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, my brain, my CPU. And this is what I'm saying, man. It's like, um, half of it. Oh, I do remember. Yes. Here we go. Well, it's like going back to like how we review our code at the like when you submit a PR and like how like our review process has gotten a little stricter and like how we're reviewing, not just looking at, hey, the your int- your syntax for how you imported that is incorrect. Uh, going through and like really reviewing not not your code, but like going through and auditing what you have done um like really thoroughly yourself and like getting into a habit of like auditing and reviewing everything you're doing not in a way that slows you down but in a way that like creates this insurance and this consistency um it, it's very very important yeah definitely and i this is that is one of the things i will do in this stage is like look at my code and be like you know are there changes i need to make to make this code the level of quality that I really ultimately want in the long term you know like you don't always have the time to do that but at least being aware of it is important and a lot of times you can make some improvements so I find that useful 
Yeah, and even if you can't like do it immediately, that's when like really taking the time to add some comments or like update documentation for the other people who are going to be interacting with it or even yourself. Like we've talked multiple times in multiple episodes how like we'll work on one feature, boom, 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 and then you get moved into another feature and then another and then another and then after a month or so you're back on the initial one and you're like okay now i have to reassess where i was at and like where was i what like and if you don't have like a good awareness and a good review process of your own code really looking at it like almost as if you didn't write it and you're reviewing somebody else's code if you don't get into that habit your your ability to like switch from flow states into different flow uh, context is severely hampered. Um, and so it, it really all ties back to putting in the little bit of extra work up front. And it's it like it always seems daunting to put in that extra work to have to think a little bit more about it. But it really doesn't take as much time as you think it will. It's more of a perceived stress of time like just passing by and being wasted but it's really the most valuable time you can spend yeah they're kind of like uh like on a bookshelf if you don't have like some solid bookends on the shelf uh holding up your books on the beginning and the end the the whole case is gonna fall over the more the more you put in it so it's like really establishing these two uh, in processes and then having something that you do routinely throughout the process as well will help keep everything stable and keep its integrity. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, yeah, I agree. So now we're two thirds of the way through this, uh, our estimate, right? And at this point, I expect my program to be in really good shape. Like it should be quite solid. Um, but I'm only two thirds of the way through and you're like, what? It's already like done. It might kind of feel like that. But what I do at this point, this is when I talk to the boss or the end user and start like showing them things and start having the user look at it. So what I find a lot of people do is they, you know, they have their first initial number and it gets like two thirds of the way to the end of that. And the boss says, hey, can I take a look? Can you show me a demo? And so everyone's like scrambling. Oh, I got to make it like kind of functional so I can show them my demo. And, you know, the demo's super like rough and and that's OK and everything. In fact, I might show people things earlier if that makes sense. But like the thing I'm aiming for is this two thirds part where we're already to the point where we know we're on the right track and it's it's all good. Then I show it to people and there's almost always more issues that come up. You just can't foresee everything. And so this is like our final buffer period and time to sort of go through a process of, you know, getting feedback from the user or whoever's testing it or whoever and, and really um, completing it, getting us to that 95%. And, and I devote a, a, a whole third to that. So I don't know. How do you feel like about that, Austin? <laughs> no, I think it's uh it's very good. Like as you're approaching the finish line, there is uh, an eagerness to like get and get over it and get it done, you know. But it's like that's when 
that's when you start making mistakes is when you start trying to move too fast uh, mm -hmm. for no real reason, no logical reason other than just wanting to get done. Um, I kind of have like a funny tangent story that I'll wrap up real quick about demoing stuff. When I was in um, Germany working at that video game company, they like hired this scrum master to come on and they did like a mini hackathon for like they took like one engineer from the like six engineering teams and they split us into like three groups of two and we're like all right you three like groups now have to compete in and like begin making something um to to like demo to us and i was like you know like we we got into this and it was like why are we all split up there's like two three groups of two there's no point in doing this. Why don't we just all join forces together and make like a really good demo and bring it to them? And we like kind of blew it out the park with the demo. It was exactly what they need. But then I like got pulled into the office and they were like, well, you like you broke the rules like you were supposed to do three teams of two. So we could have like multiple different things, blah, blah, blah. And, like, they spent so much time lecturing me because they were mad that, like, I didn't play their game or something. But we ended up, like, giving them exactly what they needed and the tool ended up being implemented into the company. So it's, like, it, it, it just made me think of that in demoing stuff for talking heads. Yeah, I, I think that reminded me, actually, of something I wanted to say about that, too, which is... I said that I sometimes demo things before I've reached the two-thirds mark, but I'm actually super careful about that because what I've run into is you'll demo it for someone and they'll be like, oh, that seems good enough. Let's just use it as is. And you're like, no, that's not why I demoed this for you. It's not ready. It looks ready maybe to you, but it's not. And depending on the person, you have to be very careful. They might make you ship it that way. And that's, nobody wants that. <laughs> You're not going to end up a happy person. And they certainly won't either when the end user starts using it. Right. So it's like, don't let yourself skip that third part, that very critical third part, and don't let others do it for you either because it's just not going to work out for anybody. Yes, exactly. Um, and just go back to the, well, I went from 29 lemons to now maybe like 24 lemons. I, I need to get back to you <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. Um, I think, yeah, I, I'm excited, really excited to get into the next part. But before we get there, I want to say one more thing. And that is we talked about, you know, multiplying it by three to get us to the 95%, right? What if you're aiming for 99%? So in those cases, I actually multiply by five or six. It sounds ridiculous. You got to cube it. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous because you're like, wow. And, I, and the thing is, I still only spend one, you know, fifth or one sixth of that time as my primary development time. Then five sixths of it or whatever is spent towards the rest of this. Like I never expand that Im initial amount. And I always stick to that. I always try to have that be my deadline. But even if I'm going for, you know, higher quality, more done, you know, I, I still, I still aim for that. And, but, but yeah, so I think, um, this is something too that it might scale differently depending on the person. Maybe you end up when you like try this method, you'll find that you're on the low end or the high end. You can adjust these 
arbitrary numbers. But the point is like more the doing things in these phases, setting your own internal goals for when it should get done and learning how to, you know, evaluate and create your rough initial estimate. Well, I mean, it comes back to the um, the saying like under promise and over deliver. And it's like it's better. It's really better to do that, to give yourself the time to like give the software that they that is wanted in the end and being like, hey, it's just going to take some time. I need I need a little space to make it. So um, that's just the way it is. And then you you have the room to create what is actually needed you can maybe even get it done before this estimated deadline because you were able to do it thoroughly right and you're it's it's winning all around yep instead of like you stressing delivering something that's subpar well subpar is good in golf right so <laughs> um I think so we know above par submission <laughs> And, um, yeah, so it, it really, it may seem scary and daunting. It is for me because I'm like really trying to get into this, uh, for myself, uh, saying no is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, and getting to a point where you can get comfortable in that, uh, it's, it's all about like your, your own skill development and it's very important to get good at it. Otherwise you're, you're really going to be hamstringing yourself the whole way along. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a perfect, um, you know, tie in to the next thing and kind of the thing that I think is the most fun and interesting and maybe useful thing to talk about. And that is what if your boss says it needs to be done sooner? <laughs> I'm sure this has never happened to anyone ever before. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if this happens and it's whether it's a client or a boss, like usually this is what happens is can we have it done sooner? And like Austin mentioned earlier, sometimes they have their own like internal deadlines they're trying to meet. Um, and this this is when that will come up you know, um, during this process. So we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I'm jumping ahead here. So, all right, we're in this scenario. Your boss says, what? That's going to take you two weeks. Can, can we get it done sooner? Uh, we need it done in one week or we need it done by Monday or, you know, something like that. That's usually what you're, you'll hear. So what do you say then? So first thing I do is I say, okay, um, let me take a look. And so once again, I say, I'll get back to you. And what I do is I look at what I'm going to be making and I see if there's any features that can be cut or modified. And modified is usually where I end up going. I'll be like, oh, well, this part of the feature they want is only taking me three days because they want this fancy animation or something. You know, I could get it done in a half a day if I cut that animation, you know, things like that. I will come back then to the stakeholder, you know, and be like, okay, um, what about this? I could change this and eliminate this feature that doesn't seem as important and get it done for you on time. Would that be acceptable? And in a lot of cases, they'll be like, oh, yeah, actually, that's fine. I don't, I didn't know that was going to take you two and a half days to make it animated. Yeah, definitely don't do that then, you know, like, so I think this is by far the best place to start with. Um, do, you, do you have experience with this one, Austin? 
Yeah, definitely. And it, it just makes me laugh at like how there's these people demanding output of something that they don't even understand to begin with. And it also makes me laugh too how we humans in general think we're like these things are so critical and important whereas like it's like okay you're it may be important to you and stuff for your your business and whatever but it's like ultimately most of this stress is like highly fabricated and unnecessary completely um and it comes from them the ones demanding expectations and estimates not being able to say no as well and so uh, i would really offer that these people that are making these demands start to figure out how to say no properly and do their own estimations yeah i actually don't know if i completely agree um that's why i say some of these (laughs) things so i so usually when you're talking to someone like this, they're looking at um, a roadmap or something with a whole bunch of things planned out and all these things tied together, you know, marketing campaigns, blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to fit these puzzle pieces together. And I agree that, you know, just saying, can you get it done faster is the absolute wrong way to approach it you're not going to get the end result that you want and they shouldn't have that attitude it's not a healthy attitude so i totally agree with that part of it but like why it's happening i can totally see that even if like you're building your own software for instance for your own company you probably have deadlines you need to make for a contract or whatever so i think what we're going to talk about next is really and, and what we started talking about is really important for um you know, working through these conflicts. Um, and I, I don't know, does that make sense, Austin? Does that really address what you were saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the reality is, is like we are in this, uh, in a system where there are these things and there are external, there's this whole web of things that we're interacting with. And if uh, a certain cog in that that machine is like not moving at the rate it's supposed to be, it does throw everything off. But I do feel like a lot of it is taken much too seriously. Um, yeah. In general, definitely. And it needs like there needs to just everyone needs to chill out a little. Like if everyone just like sat and meditated for a day, I think most of the problems in the world would resolve themselves. Once again, but I'm, instead we just keep trying to throw <laughs> throw onto the pile to fix it instead. Yeah. Once again, I have to you know respectfully disagree. I'm not sure the problems would go away, but I think people would be a lot. They'd go away for a day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. I think it would be a very big help. <laughs> uh, Maybe two days, and then we'd be back to normal <laughs> again. Uh, yeah, possibly. Anyway, so. Let's say you go to your boss or whatever, and maybe they do agree you can cut these features, or maybe they don't. But let's say you're still not, your estimate is still not good enough for them. What happens next? And this is where it's very key that you sort of follow this process because uh, I'll just go into the process. We can talk about the because later. So if if you still are not meeting their goals, whether it's they have a deadline or they think it can be done faster, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. 
what you say is, okay, well, I can get it done sooner, but these are the consequences. So you say, all right, you need it done by in, in half the amount of time that I said it's going to take. Well, I want you to know that if I do that, it's going to be a lot more buggy. So, and we're probably going to have functional bugs. I'm just not going to have enough time to fully do everything. So as long as you're okay with it being really buggy on launch and that the end user runs into a lot of these issues and the code's going to be pretty bad. So, you know, when you ask me to do something next week, it's going to take me twice as long. Yeah. So what I try to communicate to the person I'm the stakeholder here is what are the consequences of getting it done earlier? Um, so if it's a little bit earlier, I'll be like, okay, we'll probably be okay, but I'm just warning you if I run into issues, you know, our deadline could be tough to meet, you know, or if it's cutting it back quite a bit, that's when you have to be like, I want to be very, very clear with you. If we launch it like this, you're going to have issues. Like, I don't think I can make it as good without all these issues. And you try to detail the potential issues. The more specific you can be, the better. Um, and and be really clear too, especially if you start cutting back into the first two thirds, that your code quality is going to suffer and the next thing is going to take a lot longer. And this is very important to communicate as well. Be like, find what's next on the roadmap and be like, yeah, this next thing that's using the same code it's going to take me an extra week because I'm going to need to refactor all this. I'm not going to be able to write this the correct way. And so the important part here is you're communicating as effectively as you can the consequences of cutting it back. Then if the um, you know stakeholder is like, or your boss is like, that's fine. If they're okay with that, that's okay. You know, the important part is that they understand what they're getting. And that's why this whole idea of like software doneness is so important. Like you're, you're basically scaling back the amount of doneness in your software. And so you're trying to effectively communicate to them the, the effects of that. And in my experience, this technique works extraordinarily well because in some cases they'll be like, oh yeah, you didn't know. Oh, I forgot to tell you, this is really just sort of a demo. We don't care about the quality of whatever. And you're like, okay, perfect. I'll get it. I'll, I won't worry about it either. I'll just get it done real, whip it out, you know? And, um, but they might also be like, Ooh, I don't know. We're going to be demoing this for the investors. Uh, would it help if we added another person to the team? Would that get it done faster? You know, like it helps them to be able to start figuring out how to make it the way that they want. And this has I've never run into an issue with this method. I mean, knock on wood, of course, but like it's always led to a resolution that everyone is happy with, which is ultimately what we want. Well, it makes it makes me think like to discover that the demo is internal versus investor this late into the process is a failure on the communication from whoever expects things from you and like these kind of things need to be much more clear from their end in the beginning otherwise like how we had to waste like this whole discovery process trying to even figure out what they really need because it was not communicated to so us you know i 
I agree to an extent, but my experience Man, is, I'm just like real off. Now, no, no. Like I, three in a row. No, <laughs> I so my experience is the the issue is usually more related to um people not being coders and they don't understand that those details matter. So like they're like, oh, it's the same feature regardless of whether it's for an internal demo or for investors, you know? Like they might not not all the people realize that we're we write different code and that we can make it differently. You know what I mean? So like I find it's more of a a difference in what they understand about our jobs. Well, I mean, isn't it arguable then that someone that is leading a team that is pr developing something like this, they should like do their best to try to understand what they're trying to orchestrate? Oh, you're completely right. That's ideal. But I'm talking about the real world and... <laughs> It just does not often happen that way. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. And I'm, I'm saying like, it's unfair to be forced into providing ideal states or solutions when we're not being met uh, on the same level I, of like, it's like, hey, you, you have to provide the ideal, but we're not going to do our part. I... Apparently, I'm going to say I agree to an extent again. <laughs> I think it depends on how your role has been defined in that situation. You know, if you're coming in as, say, the consultant that's going to develop software for somebody that, you know, runs a restaurant business or something, like, do they really need, Do we, should we really be expecting them to understand what we do? I don't think so. I think it's our job as an engineer to effectively make this process happen, even if they're not an expert at what we do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was more contextually uh, talking about like a non-restaurant clients at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like. So where it gets murky probably is when you have somebody that's in a position that where it feels like they should understand more about this. And that is where a lot of us find ourselves, whether it's with a, a PM or another type of manager that you're like, hey, yo, you run a software team. You should understand some of this by now. I, is that kind of more what you're saying? Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking about like how th their time is spent, right? And it's like usually you see on Slack, these people have like a calendar icon by their name all the time. And I've been in plenty of meetings with these uh, with these people. And I'm just sitting there wondering how much time of the meeting was completely wasted. That could have been like, hey, you could have literally taken a tutorial on like learning uh, some of the like react for project managers versus just talking like in circles about like the, the these little details that ultimately are just wasted time yeah i think we again i'm just speaking in high ideals of like of disappointment with having interacted with so many companies that continue to do the same same stupid things over and over again my whole life yeah, I think we definitely need to, we should definitely dedicate an episode to, to things like this because, you know, maybe it'll be good to talk about, but also I think useful um, for, you know, a lot of other people that I'm sure 
are feeling very similar things. It's not a new feeling, you know, <laughs> but it, it would definitely be good right. to talk about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to derail the, the discussion, no, no, but going back to like the communication of consequences, I think it's very important to be like, Hey, these are the consequences. It's up to you to figure out how to communicate that to whoever you need to. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's important to, to like, remember that you need to start from the target doneness as your estimate. Um, if you come out and say from the beginning, oh, I can have it mostly done in uh, three days, but it's really going to take me nine days. You're never going to have success with, with this technique. Like you need to come out and be like, to reach the level that you know, we're generally trying to reach here, it's going to take this long and then scale it back from there, peel it back and, and communicate those consequences. And in, in my experience, like I, like I've never had people getting upset with me even like, they're always like, wow, I thank you so much for com like communicating this to me. I didn't realize this is what we would be giving up or, you know, like I, it's always worked out very well for, for me. I don't want to promise anything. Like I can't, you know, everybody's different, but you know, if you are looking or running in, I guess if you're running into the situation, I would love to hear, um, you know, if you try a method like this, how it works out for you and, you know, sort of build as a community more of an understanding um, that this is how things sh work. This is how it works to develop things, you know, and it would be great as a community if we start realizing that so that we're no longer needing to communicate to everyone that it takes a lot longer that, than that initial third to actually build something that's good. Right now, we seem to live in a world where that initial third to build something is the expected amount of time everybody has for something to take. And so there's a lot of pressure on us to get it done faster, but we just, you know, need to hold strong and, and hold to these, you know, uh, guidelines. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to get better. Anyways, those, that's my minor rant on how everybody should be like me in the industry. Um, <laughs> well, it goes back to my example of how my mistakes in over promising and yes, yeah, still being able to deliver. Um, and then it causes me harm but it, it like it fractals out and causes people that don't even know me harm because then we're like programming uh, a set way of working for the people who manage uh who have expectations or need estimates so they're like they're used to working with people who give them the the rapid fire estimate number and then suffer with it because we kind of continue to allow that to happen, it's kind of our fault in a way, you know. But it's also not our fault because we've been kind of born into this system of how it works uh, and how, like, just try to try to give them an estimate to get them off your back versus, like, saying no, saying that you need more time to be able to deliver something so, properly. So, um, unfortunately... I completely agree with everything you said. <laughs> there is no but. No, but. I agree. Yeah. No, I oh, agree. What? That's wow. well oh. said. <laughs> We're back on track. We're back in sync. 
<laughs> I don't think we were ever out of sync. You're just a fantastic co-host, and you present this alternate viewpoint so that we can have a nice back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even saying that any of this is really my opinion. I'm doing this all for the the value of the the discourse, you know. So, <laughs> so it's all just educational material. So don't take anything I said too seriously. I won't. I don't know. Is it the? Are you at the like ninety five percent seriousness or eighty <laughs> percent? Yes. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> i'm learning all right well um <laughs> i want to uh, make one more little comment before we like formally go over the method you know one more time here and that is the the best piece of advice that i can actually give you beyond this process itself is if you can minimize the need to estimate large projects, that's the best thing you can do. Because this is expensive, it's time-consuming, it's not fun. Um, so if you're able to, you know, break things down into smaller chunks or, you know, whatever, if there's things you can do so that you're not ending up in a position where you need to go through this, you know, process, that's the ideal. Um, and I'm not really going to say much about, like, how to do that or anything, but just something to, to keep in mind. Um, so finally, uh, I think we'll take a look at like how I think of this method at a more, you know, straightforward way, what, rather than walking through the scenario like we have. And that is, um, you know, I forgot the, the first step, which is, you know, as Austin says so well, I'll get back Discovery. to you. <laughs> so number one, you should pretty much always mm. say you'll get back to someone. Don't try to do it in the spur of the moment. It just, like I said, there's cases where it's okay, but the vast majority of the time, just, just say it. It's fine. Um, and the next thing is after you do that, you want to learn as much as you can in this discovery phase. I like to make a rough proof of concept that, you know, whip, something out as fast as I can. I'm not spending much time on it, but just to get a feel for things. Um, it's important to learn the requirements really, really well. Ask lots of questions. Um, you want to you wanna have this thing figured out so that when you're done with the estimation process, you could just jump in basically and start building. You shouldn't be giving an estimate without knowing all the details. Like Try to figure out as much of the details as you can. And then Investigate all the integrations and libraries that are needed very thoroughly. Um, this is an area where things often get delayed a long time. Like you're um, integrating with a library and it doesn't support something you needed, but you thought it was going to have. I mean, that's a huge, that can be a massive blocker. So be like aware right up front that you need to look into that for your estimate. Um, then the next step is once we've learned as much as we can, uh, we try to break it down into small chunks, um, not necessarily in design, but more like in functionality or uh, like things that you would program together is generally how I think of it. Um, and we add up the estimates for each of these smaller chunks. Um, and I don't try to, I'll just know, like I don't try to get too in the weeds on this usually, especially when it's a 95% doneness. Um, I'm looking for, you know, this is going to take me a day, two days. Like I'm looking for the big ticket items mostly. And I might pad out the final estimate a small amount so I don't have to like try to figure out every little tiny thing, you know. Um, but that's this is sort of what I do at this point. Um, and 
Then once we've got our number, we multiply it by three and we tell our boss, this is how long it's going to take me. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, the, the method that I use for uh, providing software estimates. Um, you know, obviously like estimates, when you talk about like um, some people, I guess what they'll do if they're, you know, contractors is they'll like have somebody come to them and be like, hey, build me this website or this app and give me an an estimate and it comes with prices and all that kind of thing. Um, I haven't talked about that because it's not something I believe in doing, um, which is another episode, <laughs> but this is, you know, for handling, you know, estimates in general, not really like rigorous contract level estimates. Like I think that's a, a different ball game. Um, but yeah, so that's the, the method that I use. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure, Austin, if you had any more thoughts on the method um, or we can uh, continue, you know, rolling along on these uh, parallel tracks that are now in sync. No, I think the main thing is like get comfortable at saying no, because like even if you don't believe it, you are like the expert at what is being expected of you. So saying no, I'll get back to you so that you can like actually flex your expertise and deliver the way that you want to deliver. It's it's really the critical skill to build. And I, I'm working on that right now um, and forever forward. Like you, you hear people say like you need to learn how to say no. Like and it's a, it's such a great theory. And like this is the practical yeah, application of it. I could not have said that better myself. Um, thank you, Austin. Um, yeah, so that that's a, a great um, finish to, you know, the, the main part of our show. Um, you know, I think it was a lot of fun. We, we, we got to look at when is software done? You've probably never thought about software doneness, maybe. Um, you know, it's like you think about how done is your cake. I don't know if you thought about how done your software is. But anyways, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, we took a sort of side detour to look at, you know, software being complex. And, you know, even if you follow this process, you're probably going to get it wrong, especially as you start doing it. Like it's a trial and error, you know, it takes practice. Um, but don't feel bad. It's it's not an easy thing, but I think we can all do it. Um, and then we looked at, you know, what is what do you actually do when your boss comes to you? And, you know, like Austin said, the first thing, I'll get back to you. No, to give me a second to breathe here. We're going to all go meditate for a couple of days. So it's important to, <laughs> to remember that. <laughs> um, and we multiply by three or, or whatever number is appropriate for your doneness level. And then the most critical thing, which is how do you handle things needing to get done sooner? Um, and, and that's an important process of clearly communicating the consequences of it um, being done quicker. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I don't know, this was a lot of fun. I, I knew it would be like, I always say at the beginning of the show, I had a lot of fun. Um, I hope, I hope Austin did. I know over there, I kind of shot him down in a lot of times, you know, but I hope it's okay. Yeah. I'm full of holes, <laughs> bleeding, bleeding. No, no, I, I had fun too. This topic is very, like, it's very relevant to what's going on right now in the contracts I'm on, as well as, like, as I'm building out some of my own software. 
um, figuring out how to properly do the planning and do the estimation and figure out what done really means. I, I think this is a very critical episode for not just React developers, but any developer or anyone in business in general. Like this is a straight up business podcast in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, so we can react to business. No, never mind. I'm just trying to come up with terrible jokes to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, your jokes you. are never terrible. <laughs> um, we do need to, to wind it down because I feel like it's getting pretty long. And, you know, I don't know if I would sit through something this long. Well, I might if I was the one talking. <laughs> yeah, I think this is our longest. But if I'm the one talking, you know, maybe yeah, I would listen to right. myself. But no, I'm just kidding. That wouldn't happen. Except when I do a QA on the episode, so it happens anyways. But <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, so thank you all once again for joining us. Um, if you have feedback or questions, please send it, you know, email us at thereactshow.alacreek.studio. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we look forward to you joining us again next week. And, uh, you know, we thank you for joining us on this uh, tour of how to talk to your boss. So if you'd like more of that, you know, stay tuned and we'll see what we can do. But anyways, take care. Have a great week. We'll see you. See ya.